0: World Relief Haiti has been a Chapel Hill partner since 2016. Haiti is a beautiful Caribbean nation full of strong people who have captured our hearts. World Relief believes that the church is God's big idea to restore community. Our teams have seen firsthand how they work together to show God's love in word and in deed. Their stories also challenge us to be the local church restoring lives right here.
1: Let's give a warm Chapel Hill welcome to Pascal. So Pascal is joining us from a pretty wild journey from Kenya to Oklahoma to Haiti. He has been all over the world, and I hope that you get to hear more of his story. But today he's going to share with us about our global outreach partner, World Relief Haiti. Now, Haiti is a country that has been through a lot, and so Pascal is going to start by sharing some of the challenges that they're facing right now in Haiti. Why don't you step forward a little into the light.
2: Thank you. I'm very grateful for the leadership of Chapel Hill Church here in Seattle. I'm humbled and honored Mm -hmm. to be with you, celebrating the Almighty God. In Haiti, the country have been facing challenges to challenges since long, long time. Among the challenges I am highlighting I would start with the political instability. Since its independence in 1804, there have never been a peaceful transition of power
3: Mm.
2: since that time. And very recently, 2021, in July, the president was assassinated in his home after nominating a prime minister who is currently called ruling without power, without authority. The second one after the political instability, I would talk about the gasoline that is being controlled by the gangs. Mm. You could imagine the armed groups controlling gasoline. How is the situation? How is the movement, the transportation within the country. The, sec- the third one I would highlight here is the inflation. Here in the US, you have been experiencing like 70%, up to nine percent sometimes. Mm. Currently in Haiti, we are at 48.3% mm. of inflation. Mm. That could give you an idea of how the people of Haiti are really surviving resilient. The fourth one is the brain drainage. The competent, the qualified people, Haitians, they are running away due to what is happening in their country. They are going to Europe, sometimes to Canada, and a big part of that bunch coming to US. Those are the main ones I would highlight here that are affecting the country. Mm. Right now, a lot of things happening within the country are mostly related to those challenges. Mm. Thank you.
1: So political instability, violence, poverty and inflation, and migration and immigration. Those are huge challenges but we believe in a God of hope and World Relief comes in and empowers the local church to be the answer to these challenges. Can you share a little bit of how World Relief is coming in and empowering the local
2: church? Thank you for that question. World Relief has a strategy of church empowerment zone as a starting point as a geographic constituency within that church empowerment zone we have developed as what vision as what relief curriculum to train the church leaders the church network committees so that they will be capacitated to know how do they analyze how do they cope with what is happening in their communities with those trainings we have seen them reacting to disasters Either natural or man made, within 24 hours, within 20, 48 hours, identifying who are the most affected community members, church members within their community, and addressing their basic needs before any outsider would come in sent by God. The transportation has been a very critical issue. Within in Haiti as I highlighted. Reaching out the church leaders. Mm. The church leaders are still resilient, trying to reach the most affected people from their community. Those Mm. are what what the reef is doing as God requested Moses.
3: Mm.
2: What do you have? According to Moses, that was a stick. According to God, that is not a stick. (laughs) With God, what we think is a stick is not a stick. (laughs) And sometimes, what we are looking for is not within Mm ourselves. it's within our community. Mm -hmm. You remember what Jesus said Mm -hmm. when he fed more than 5,000 people? What do you have? And all the disciples were arguing, how come, how could we feed all those people here? And yet, one of them had something, that small child, that had the fish and the bread. Within the community, there are always something that they can use to support the most suffering people within their community. Before, They could wait for outsider to be able to support them. That is the message we are transferring to the churches, church leaders, church network committees, and they have grabbed it. Mm. That's why you can find them after any natural disaster, Mm. man-made disaster. They have already started doing, addressing some of those challenges, challenges they are facing. Thank you so much.
1: I love that about World Relief. They go into these communities and they empower the local church. So the community sees the local church as the answer. And we have so much that we can learn from World Relief in this. We want to be the answer to the challenges in our local community. We want the church to raise up and come alongside the work of the local community. And one of the ways that we're able to partner with that global community is through our tithes, our offerings, and our giving. Yesterday, we got to share with Pascal that through our 10% that we give to global outreach, because we haven't sent trips in the last few years, we were able to give a, an above and beyond gift and help uh, buy a new vehicle, a new method of transportation for World Relief Haiti is clapping on the mic because as he said, yeah, you can go ahead and clap as well. As he mentioned before, because thank of the you. instability thank and the so violence, much. it's almost impossible to get from town to town. And so now they have safe, reliable transportation and that's because of your faithful giving. We got his reaction yesterday on camera and we're gonna share it with you on social media this and next week. But thank you for your faithful giving. You help reach the ends of the earth with the gospel. We long for the day when every tribe and every tongue and every nation will call on the name of the Lord Jesus. And whether you're giving online or uh, giving your offering in the plate as it passes by, sending a check in the mail, you are part of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So we are gonna take some time now to pray for World Relief Haiti and pray for some needs with Agua Viva Ministry, one of our other global outreach partners. And then Pascal, we're gonna echo that every tribe, every tongue, every nation moment, and he is going to pray the Lord's prayer for us in French this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we do pray that you would continue to bless the work of World Relief Haiti. We thank you for our brother, Pascal, who joined us today. Would you bless him, his family? We pray that you would be the, the God who brings peace to Haiti. We know it's only through the good news of your gospel that peace can come to that country and that those challenges can be met. Would you raise up the local church? Would you raise up this local church so that we might be the answer, bringing the gospel out into our community? Father, we also pray for our partner, Agua Viva. We thank you for the work that they're doing of sending out Mexican missionaries into the country of Mexico. And we pray particularly for some missionaries that we know that have been sent to Chiapas who have been facing extreme violence, uh, reaching that unreached people group. Would you grant them safety and security so that they might proclaim your word Lord, we do pray that we would be a church that sends workers out into that harvest field because we know that the harvest is ready, the harvest is ripe, and we long for the day where we see all nations, all people, all communities come to know you. And we pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.
4: prophet Prophet, priest and king Christ became the
0: Three weeks ago, the latest installment in the Legend of Zelda video game series was released. It was entitled Tears of the Kingdom. In three days, it sold 10 million copies, making it the fastest selling Nintendo game of all time. Now it's been a favorite in our house and it has been the topic of much conversation with friends and, and colleagues around the office. One of My personal favorite moments early in the game is a man who's become known in our house as the sign guy. Addison is his name. He's been tasked with putting up signs all over the fictional land of Hyrule, and his signs are to support President Hudson, but unfortunately for Addison, and kind of hilariously for us, he can't even support his own signs. Take a look. Your task is to use your newfound abilities to support his sign so he can move on and put up more signs. And he's literally everywhere putting up signs. You can't go more than two minutes without bumping into inept Addison going, Woo! and dropping his sign all over the ground. I wonder, have you ever asked God for a sign? Anyone ever done that? Perhaps you were facing a big decision you needed some wisdom or some guidance, you said, Lord, give me a sign. Maybe it was before you came to faith in Jesus, you were still exploring the Christian faith and you said, God, if you just give me a sign, I would believe. Or maybe you're there right now, maybe you've come in today and there are things in your life that are are weighing you down, burdening you, you've got choices that you need to make, you're saying, God, give me a sign. Lord, give me a sign. Well, some people came to Jesus and asked him for just that. They said, give us a sign from heaven. And this morning, we're going to hear Jesus's response to their request for a sign. And I hope that we're going to discover for ourselves that God has already given us the greatest sign that he could. Well, welcome to Chapel Hill. My name's Ellis. I'm one of the pastors here. We're continuing our journey through Luke's Gospel, one of the four biblical accounts we have of the life of Jesus. Last week in Luke chapter 11, and if you want to grab a Bible and turn to Luke 11 right now, we're still in Luke 11. Last week, we heard about some people who approached Jesus regarding two things. Here's what we read the people marveled, but some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul. The prince of demons. So one group of people was having an issue with Jesus and how he was working with evil. We heard from Pastor Mark last week about that, right? We heard that evil is real, but Jesus is good and Jesus is more powerful than all evil. Incredible message. Go back, listen to it if you didn't get a chance. But there's another group of people, verse 16, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. And that's what we're going to be dealing with this week this issue of a sign from heaven. And for that, we're going to read from verse 29 of Luke chapter 11. Here's Jesus' response to the request for that sign. When the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. This is the word of the Lord. A couple of years ago, our dishwasher was starting to fail. I tried to repair it three times. I was sick of just putting more money down a hole in the ground. And I said to Rachel, we just got to buy a new dishwasher. It was Black Friday, so perfect timing. Ordered one. They delivered it. And since I'd taken my old one apart so many times, I figured, well, I'll install it myself. And so they they brought it into the house, took the old one away, and uh, I began to uh, remove all the foam packaging that was around the dishwasher to stop it from bashing up the house on the way in. First couple of pieces, really easy. But then like they glued some foam packaging onto it, I didn't want to be deterred, so I just started ripping it off, you know, kind of tearing it into little chunks and throwing it aside into the corner. Well, I got to the point where I, I needed to hook it up to the water. Uh, I needed to get an elbow joint, so I went to Home Depot. But then, as I was driving back, I had this sudden realization what if that foam wasn't packaging? <laughs> you see, Our old dishwasher didn't have any foam, but our old dishwasher was louder than my neighbor's diesel truck. This new dishwasher was an ultra-quiet dishwasher. And sure enough, when I got home, I found the foam in the corner with a big sign on it that said, do not remove necessary insulation for sound reduction. So I strapped it all back on, and it seems quiet. I think it's okay. The people came to Jesus asking for a sign. And Jesus' response was, was quite simple, really. He said, you've already got a sign. Can't you see it? And the implication is that just like I did with the sign on that dishwasher packaging, insulation, the people have missed the sign that Jesus has given them. He begins his response by saying this, verse 29. This generation, Jesus says, is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. By this generation, Jesus means those who were living at that time, the people he was speaking to, those who'd rejected the sign that God had already given them and were seeking another. And and what is the sign that God had already given to them? Well, Jesus calls it the sign of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet who lived around 800 years years before Jesus. And he's most famous for being swallowed by a big fish and then spat out three days later. However, that sign of three days later isn't actually the sign of Jonah that I think Jesus is referring to here. Right here, I think Jesus is referring to Jonah's preaching to the people of Nineveh. We just heard a song about Nineveh. Nineveh was a city full of God's people's enemies. And God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach to them that they needed to repent and turn from their wicked ways. And reluctantly, Jonah went and did just that. And amazingly, the people of Nineveh repented from their evil and their city was saved from destruction. And Jesus goes on to say, verse 30, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Son of Man is how Jesus refers to himself, and he's saying that just as Jonah's preaching was a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man, so Jesus, so my preaching is a sign to this generation. And he later goes on to clarify it, dropping down to verse 32. Jesus says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? For they, that's the people of Nineveh, repented at the preaching of Jonah And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying that the people of this generation are worse than the people of Nineveh, as evil as the people of Nineveh were. See, the people of Nineveh repented at Jonah's preaching. And Jonah's preaching, incidentally, was pretty lackluster. We only have five Hebrew words of Jonah's sermon recorded. Five words was his entire sermon to the people of Nineveh, and the whole city repented. Jesus says, if they repented after five Hebrew words and my preaching, which is so much better than the preaching of Jonah, at that you don't even see it, you don't even repent from it, then you are going to be condemned by those people of Nineveh on the day of judgment. And to double down on this, Jesus offers us another illustration. This time he compares his own teaching to that of King Solomon. King Solomon was the king of Israel who reigned about 200 years before Jonah went on that trip to Nineveh. And King Solomon was best known for his wisdom teaching. Most of the wisdom literature that we find in the Bible is attributed to King Solomon. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. At one point, Solomon became so famous that the queen of Sheba, Sheba's probably a modern-day Yemen, traveled 1,400 miles just to come and test Solomon's wisdom. He was world-renowned. Here's what Jesus says, verse 31. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Why? For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The queen of Sheba was so enamored with Solomon's teaching. She traveled a huge distance just to come and hear it and yet here we have Jesus' teaching, far greater than Solomon's, and yet Jesus' teaching hasn't seen the same response from the Jewish generation who barely had to travel any distance at all to hear Jesus teach. Putting all of this together, what is Jesus' response to this request for a sign? Well, it's quite simple, really. Jesus is the sign. Jesus is the is the sign. And just like I did with that dishwasher, Jesus is telling people, you've missed it. I am the sign, Jesus says, and you've missed it. You're asking for a sign, but it's right in front of you. I am the sign, me. And Jesus really is an incredible sign. I mean, not only is Jesus' preaching and, and teaching astounding and has and echoed down through the millennia, forming all of the, the kind of basis that we have for how we interact with uh, others in humanity, all of our laws, but more than that, There are so many other aspects of Jesus that that are incredible. I mean, just at this point in Luke's gospel, we've seen the angels come and announce Jesus' birth with a chorus of song. We've seen the boy Jesus amaze the teachers in the temple. We've seen Jesus fast for 40 days and overcome the temptation of Satan in the wilderness. We've seen Jesus cast out demons, heal the sick, cleanse lepers, make the lame walk, raise the dead, forgive sin, feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and then be transfigured into his true glory on the top of a mountain. And that's just the first ten chapters. We haven't even got to the best bit. The bit where he goes to his death on the cross, bearing upon himself the weight of the sin of the whole world. And then just when we thought it was over, three days later, he rose from the grave, justifying us, giving us new life. And the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is alive and well in us. Jesus is the sign. He's the only sign we need. He's the greatest sign we could ask for. We don't need to look for another. We have a sign. Jesus Is the sign. Amen? Amen. But here's the thing, right? Because I know I've asked for a sign. (laughs) Why do we do that? Well, here's what I think I think it's because we get distracted with all the other things that are going on. I think we lose our focus. On Jesus, And we allow the distractions of this world to, to pull us away from the all-sufficiency of Christ. And in fact, that's what Jesus goes on to say in the next few verses. This singular focus on Jesus is what it takes to fill our whole being with the light of Christ. Let's take a read, verse 33 and following. No one, Jesus says, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, put on a stand so that those who enter may see the light your eye is the lamp of your body when your eye is healthy your whole body is full of light but when it is bad your body is full of darkness therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness if then your whole body is full of light having no part dark it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light This right here is a camping lantern. When we go camping, we take these with us to light up our tent at night. We hook it onto the roof of our tent, and it gives light to the whole of the tent. Now, this camping lantern would be useless if I left it in the car, right? Even if it was still on, it would be useless out there. Similarly, it'd be useless if I covered it up with a blanket or a sleeping bag. If this lantern isn't in the right place, held up high in the midst of our tent, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, give light to those who need it. The purpose of the lamp is to provide light. And Jesus uses this image of a lamp to help clarify what it is that this generation is getting so wrong in looking for a sign. He says that the eye is the lamp of the body. In other words, he's saying that the purpose of the eye is to provide the whole body with the illumination it needs. Just like the purpose of a lamp is to provide the room with the illumination that it needs. The purpose of the eye is to provide the body with the illumination that it needs. And he says, when the eye is working correctly, the body's full of light. Or just like when the lamp is working correctly. He says, when the eye is not working correctly, It fills the whole body with darkness. Just like when that lamp gets covered up or left in the car. And Jesus is giving us a warning. He's saying, be careful that your eye is working correctly. Otherwise, you're going to be filled with darkness. Now, what does Jesus mean here by our eye? You know, is he talking about our physical eyeballs working correctly? Because if so, I'm stuffed. I'm short-sighted, and I'm colorblind. Thankfully, he's not. He's using this as a a metaphor, an image. He's not talking about our physical sight, but about our spiritual sight, how we see things spiritually. So what does it look like then for us to have spiritual 2020 vision? Well, I think Jesus gives us a clue in verse 34. Take a look at that again with me. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Jesus uses two adjectives here to describe the eye. Healthy, on the one hand, and bad, on the other. Now, bad is that same word used earlier to describe this generation. We normally translate it evil. And that word healthy, it has... The meaning of kind of singleness of purpose, singularly focused. That's what it means to, to be healthy in this word. It means without a hidden agenda, singular in focus. In other words, Jesus is saying there's two options for how your spiritual eyesight is going to work. Either it's going to be healthy, it's going to be singularly focused, or it's going to be bad, and I'd say by implication, it's going to be focused on all sorts of different things. Either our spiritual eyesight is healthy and it's focused on one thing, or it's bad and it's focused on all sorts of things. And what Jesus is doing is explaining why the people are still seeking a sign. They're seeking a sign because they haven't focused on the one thing that's right in front of them. Jesus. Just like when you focus with a camera, right? Take a look at this video. This is a picture of my backyard, but I focused on the background to begin with, and then I move the slider over, and I bring the focus to what is immediately in front of my eyes. Okay, I think sometimes what Jesus is saying is that when our eyes are bad or unhealthy, we're focused on all the other things that we can't see what it is that's right in front of our eyes. The sign that he has already given us. And we need to shift our focus to the one thing that we need to be focused upon, Jesus We might be looking for a sign, we might be lost, but the reality is we're focused on all the stuff in the background when there's one thing in front of us upon which we need to focus. And the question that Jesus is asking us this morning is, what are you focused on? What are you focused on? And if it's all those other things in your life, and I know it is for me, all the time, I'm focused on so many other things aside from Jesus. And Jesus says, here's what you need to do. Shift your focus. Say that with me. Shift your focus. Just like that picture in my backyard. Okay? If we're focused on all the background noise, all the, all the background in our lives, then we're not going to see the reality of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, being right in front of us. We need to shift that focus. We need to move that slider across to be focused on Jesus. Shift your focus. So what does that look like, practically speaking? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I found myself uh, waking up and I was totally uh, beset with anxiety. I'm not normally like that, I don't normally experience that, but it just kind of came upon me all of a sudden and a real kind of tightness in my chest, and I was just kind of spinning in it all, and uh, it, was, it was really quite disconcerting. I, I felt totally overwhelmed, and I remember getting in the car to, to go to work. This was like the second day, and um, I did something I don't normally do when I get in the car. I, I, I pulled up an app on my phone, an app that reads the Bible to you and then leaves space for you to reflect on it, and I, I hit play on this app, in the car, just on, on whatever the daily reading was. And interestingly enough, it, it was like the, the words of Jesus in this daily reading just, just spoke right to me in the midst of that situation. Here was, here was what it says. It was John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be Afraid. As I heard those words, do you know what I realized? I realized I've been focusing on all these other things. And I need to shift my focus to the person of Jesus. He's the one who's going to give me peace. I've been looking at all that the world gives me. And I need to shift my focus to be upon what Jesus gives me. So I did that right there as I'm driving in the car, as there's just silence, nothing in the background. Shifted my focus to Jesus, and this overwhelming, tangible sense of peace began to flood my heart. It was, it was like the tension just dripped off of me in that moment, and peace flooded my mind, my heart, as I shifted my focus from all that the world was giving me to what Jesus alone was able to give me. His light flooded my heart and my life. That's what I think it looks like to shift your focus. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the craziness, to create space where you focus your attention on Jesus. You invite him to be present to you, to shine his light into your life, to give you his peace to be everything that you're looking for, everything that you're desiring, the the sign that you want. He is the sign. Shift your focus to Him. And as we come to the communion table this morning, we have an opportunity to do that right now, to shift our focus from all the other things that are going on in our lives, all the background noise, all, all of the chaos, all of the worries, all of the stress, to focus in on one thing upon Jesus on his sacrificial death for us that we might be reconciled to God so as we come to the table this morning i wonder if you might take a moment to do just that to shift your spiritual focus bar maybe invite the holy spirit to reveal to you what it is that you've been focused on, what's been clouding your vision. And just hand that over to him and say, God, I give all those things to you. I'm gonna shift my focus to Jesus this morning. He is the sign. He is the best sign, the greatest sign. He is all that I need, all that I am looking for. And I'm gonna shift my focus to him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the wonder of who you are and what you have done, the greatness of your work and your love, your teaching. And this morning we ask that you would help us to shift our focus to you, shift it off of ourselves, off of the things that are plaguing our minds to focus upon you. And Lord, as we do that, We ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit to reveal to us are there any things that we've been focused upon that have been getting in the way, been distracting us. So Holy Spirit, come, speak to us now. Search our hearts, we ask, and reveal to us if there is any grievous way in them. Now we shift our focus to Christ, to his sacrifice for us, to his body broken for us, to his blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. We repent of our distraction, our lack of focus on you. We ask for your forgiveness and we ask that you would turn our eyes upon Jesus this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For I received from the Lord that which I now deliver unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, broke it, and blessed it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
1: In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the covenant poured out in my blood do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. for as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again.
0: And now we ministering on behalf of the Lord offer to you this bread and this juice that they may be to you the body and blood of our Lord Jesus and that in the partaking of them you might find nourishment for yourselves. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you'd set aside these common elements of bread and juice, that they may be used for a holy purpose to unite us, body and soul, with Christ. That we may be singularly focused on the greatest gift that has been given to us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we ask that you would have mercy upon us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. A few instructions for how we'll receive communion today. We'd invite you to exit out your pew to the right, your right our left and come forward to one of the communion stations. If you're unable to come forward because of mobility issues or you're not able to get out, go ahead and raise a hand. We have people that will be able to bring communion to you. We also have gluten-free bread. If you're like me and that's a need for you, just come forward and say that you need it and we'll grab a piece for you. The table is open to all who confess Christ as Lord and we welcome you to that table now.
5: its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my Lord. Its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in Your name, Jesus Christ. My life.
4: through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ glory, to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross is spoken, I am forgiven, the King of
0: Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.
3: Lying, the grave has no claim on me.
4: The morning that sealed the promise.